This program is made possible by the support of the members of the show. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to a guest-produced edition of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Bugle, The Progressive, The Rachel Maddow Show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Countdown, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Young Turks, Le Show, and Tom Hartman. With a bonus video clip today for our iPhone app users from The Rachel Maddow Show. Top story this week, oil slick news. Well, Andy, when we left the Bugle two weeks ago, oil was pumping into the ocean off the Louisiana coast and everyone was talking about it. Well, 14 days later, nothing has really changed other than the human response going from shock to depressed resignation. The leak is still pumping out oil like John Grisham pumps out novels, <laughs> indiscriminately and on an almost incomprehensible scale. <laughs> There's a time and a place for oil, Andy. Most of the time, that place is under the ground. It is not, I repeat, not all over a dead fish. Unless the dead fish in question is a seared tuna and the oil in question was squeezed out of an Italian olive. <laughs> little joke to remind you of last week there, Andy. Thanks, yeah. I say, they don't eat, they don't eat a, lot of, uh, a lot of seared tuna fish down there, John. Really? Not a great deal, no. Oh, what, get what? a little bit of sea bass. Oh, yeah? But uh, not a lot of tuna going on. Well, next time I do that joke, Andy, I'll substitute the tuna for the bass. Do that. Uh, The Obama administration has responded this week to public concerns that they are not doing enough, uh, making it clear that they're trying everything, from drilling relief wells to firing in mud, golf balls and human hair to clog the pipe up, that's true, to sending down a fat scuba diver to sit on top of the leaking well under the strict instruction not to swim away until they've sorted it all out. And as for the scale of this disaster, it is truly appalling. One media report here said the leak has grown to nearly 19 million gallons over the past five weeks. If the oil-filled gallon milk jugs lined up side by side, there would be enough to reach from New York to Chicago and back. You know what? You had my attention there at 19 million gallons. I really don't think a figure like that needs to be put into any further arbitrary perspective. I think basically everyone understands that 19 million gallons of anything is a f- of a lot of gallons. You're not going to find yourself confused when someone phones you up and says, congratulations, I'm happy to tell you that you just won 19 million gallons of grapefruit juice. The only confusion there is going to be, hold on, what competition did I enter that had that as a prize? Immediately followed by thinking, oh shit, what am I going to do with my brand new massive amount of grapefruit juice? You are not going to find yourself saying, excuse me, but uh, can you give me that information again, but this time in milk jug form? Because <laughs> I have absolutely no idea whether what you just said is a lot or not. In fact, can you please tell me how far my milk jugs of grapefruit juice would go if lined up side by side? And please express it to me in terms of a round trip, otherwise I'll just get confused again. See, the mil- milk jugs, is, that's, a, that's a relatively new form of measurement as far as I'm right. concerned. Because I'm mean, generally here... You'd go with the bottle. Football pitches. Or, oh, OK, um, right. Or, or buses. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I was tall as a bus. Yeah. When I went went to a cinema screen the other day that said it was as tall as three buses. Right, so they could have um, said, like, a bus, well, a bus full, filled maybe. with oil. Yeah, how many buses filled with oil would that yeah. be, John? And how far would those buses go in a trap? Would they stretch in a traffic jam? Right, <laughs> there you go. That might be a whole other way to do it. In fact, yeah. this, the report then went on to say, in the worst-case scenario, if 39 million gallons are spilled, the oil would fill enough jugs to stretch from the Louisiana marshes to Prince William Sound in Alaska. That's where the Exxon Valdez ran aground in 1989, <laughs> spilling nearly 11 million gallons. Stop this bullshit now! That is officially more confusing than the basic facts expressed. In fact, if you manage to successfully unravel that mystery novel of a metaphor, you suddenly realise that this disaster is now significantly already worse than the Exxon Valdez. The problem is that by the time you've worked that out, another million barrels of oil have just been shot into the ocean, and another whole team are now working out whether the milk jugs would now stretch to Utah and back or not. I really do wonder, Andy, whether the manpower put into coming up with stupid analogies like this would be better diverted into coming up with ways to stop this f***ing leak. Because the complexity of imaginations on show seems to suggest that if successfully harnessed, this could all be over by now. At the very least, they should all take their stupid milk jugs down to Louisiana and start scooping some f***ing oil out of the Gulf with them. Uh, What are these milk jugs made of? 
Right now, we, are they porcelain? I, I'm or? guessing a porcelain milk jug, right. Andy. I'm guessing your classic porcelain milk jug. Because you've got to be looking at some spillages and breakages as well. So I just don't think they've factored that in. Yeah. Also, Plus, I mean, if they, wanted a more, if they wanted a more impressive distance, they should have used maybe longer and thinner receptacles that they could have laid end-to-end. Right. Maybe, I, I don't know. You know, yards of ale... Yeah, you know, the, the yard of ale. Yeah. Yeah, the kind of... That would be good. You could get to Portugal. Too. Yeah. Well, I think that, that would have made me pay more attention. Or maybe, you know, if, if they'd frozen it into cricket bat moulds, <laughs> how many how many frozen cricket bat... oil cricket bats were the... I don't know if you can... Can you freeze oil, Chris? Uh, yeah, I, I have no idea, I'm afraid. No, I'm not a scientist. Right. I can look it up for you if you like. Right. Oh, that'd be great, Chris. Can you please ask if... Uh, can you please find out if you can freeze oil and therefore if that oil could be frozen into a cricket bat shape? <laughs> if the answer to the first is yes, I'm guessing the second is yes as well. I'm onto it. Thanks, Chris. Get back um, to us. I mean, obviously there's a lot of oil gone missing here. And the people I feel sorry for are the, the, the cars that can't go anywhere now because they've not got the, the oil. You know, yep. These stationary cars. see car parks full of cars just sitting there. You know, I mean, if they hadn't been for that spill, they'd probably be moving. Right. Are you sure you're not mistaking stranded cars for cars uh, devoid of people who've just gone shopping before returning to them? Well, I mean, it's too early to speculate. You're right. <laughs> you're right, it is. It is. But um, I read also this uh, that um, it turns out that uh, papers uh, that the New York Times obtained from a congressional investigator showed that uh, BP had capped their well with a relatively cheap type of casing. Um, which... Uh-huh. Which, you know, I mean, we've all economised at times, and, you know, I guess there's... Maybe we shouldn't criticise BP in this. I mean, after all, John, the B in their name stands for British. That's correct. Origin, so it's reasonable, perhaps even essential, to assume that they know what they're doing a little bit more than, you know, some Johnny-come-lately president, yep. for example, who, as far as I'm aware, has never actually drilled for oil himself. Yep. You know, when Barack Obama has personally stood on his head at the bottom of the deep blue sea, whilst a colleague or... <laughs> buddy or machine has spun him round and round really fast so he <laughs> penetrates the surface of the planet until yep. oil spurts out. Well, he's not got much right to pass comment to us British people. You're right. Who've been drilling with oil since British Petroleum first came into existence in 1066. Barack Obama has finally responded appropriately to the BP disaster. Not only has this slow-to-boil president started to express outrage commensurate with BP's crimes, he's also taking much-needed action to prevent further despoiling of our coastlines. He's ordering an additional six-month moratorium on deepwater oil drilling. He's canceling the leases that he foolishly proposed that would open in the western Gulf and off the coast of Virginia. And he's delaying the lease sales off the coast of Alaska. But he should do more. He should propel us away from oil itself. If ever you needed an example of how dirty and how destructive this energy source is, even before it's burned, just go down to the Louisiana coast and check it out for yourself. Our government let private companies prospect for oil in our seas at ridiculous depths when one single accident, as we so tragically notice now, can devastate a whole body of water, contaminate an entire ecosystem, and ruin the livelihoods of millions of people. There are much simpler, much safer ways to get energy. If a windmill were to crash, it might kill a couple of cows. If a solar panel broke, it might damage a floor in a single building. But when an oil well blows at the bottom of the sea, the damage is astronomical. We need to get off oil now. We need to push forward with wind. The technology is here. And we need to take Bernie Sanders up on his idea to install solar rooftop panels on 10 million buildings. The BP oil spill has made the Gulf of Mexico a museum dedicated to the folly of oil and the greed of corporations. We don't need any more museums like it. I love hearing from listeners who write in to tell me about how this show positively impacts their lives. It reinforces the idea that what I'm doing really may be making a little bit of a difference. What I love even more is that it's the support of the listeners themselves which makes this show possible. 
If you appreciate the service this show provides, you can make individual donations or become a member and donate $5 a month or even save a couple of bucks by paying for a year in advance. Member support gives me the time it takes to produce 10 shows per month, and in return, members receive access to bonus audio and video content through members-only raw feeds. For details or to sign up, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. We just never know in this life when it's right to economise and when we should should, should have that upfront expenditure. Um, you know, generally, I would say, as with BP, it's far better to take the cheap option and be proved wrong than fork out your hard-earned wedge for unnecessary precautions only for nothing then to happen and to be left for the rest of your life with a nagging doubt that if you'd spent a little bit less, nothing might also not have happened. I mean, uh, like Captain Scott, for example. He was so petrified of being stung by a wasp during mealtimes that he went on a massive and very expensive expedition to the South Pole, which cost him a lot of dollar and his life. Now, that <laughs> is excessive precaution right there. Yeah. Uh, and the Cold War, you know, all those nukes. It must have been a real temptation to use a couple of hundred just to justify the expenditure. But now we're left thinking, well, if only we'd built, say, ten or twelve nukes, you know, enough to make a point, instead of 65,000 nukes, as the world had at its peak, then we could have spent the rest of the money on good causes, like, um, instead of nuclear proliferation, snookular proliferation, <laughs> spreading snooker around the world instead of the potential destruction of the planet and all its species. Or the development of revolutionary new technologies, like the uncrashable donkey, uh -huh. enabling developing world farmers to ride around more quickly, thus boosting their profit margins. <laughs> also, may be able to make it a wireless donkey, too. Everything's got to be wireless these days. Just ask next door's dog, John. Swallowed an internet modem, now gets snacks wherever he goes, and in exchange for sitting still for a couple of minutes while people check their emails. <laughs> in fact... The wireless internet routing dog could have brought mass communication to the impoverished regions of the world far yeah. more quickly than has been achieved if only we hadn't spent so much money on nuclear weapons. And if CND had been a campaign for new generation internet dogs, then it might have had more effect over the years. That's all I'm saying. You're right, it's the new use for the Great Dane. Instead of a barrel round its neck... That's right, yeah. ...is a router. That's right. Because I've always thought one of the dog's main weaknesses as an animal has been a, a lack of functionality. <laughs> But, um, of course, it can work the other way around. Of course, the BP have found out, you know, they didn't, uh, didn't spend enough and they've, uh, you know, it's like Jesus. You know, Fernie had uh, forked out a few extra shekels of his pocket money on uh, those reinforced steel anti-crucifixion gloves. Well, <laughs> need I say more? Or needed I have said less? <laughs> but it uh, does seem that this, John, was definitely one occasion when spending that little bit extra. Short term might have saved a big bit extra long term. Like when you buy a rhino for a new circus act. You know, a dead one might be much cheaper than a live one, but it's not going to work long-term. You know, its straight man shtick will rapidly become tiresome and predictable. <laughs> Better pay the extra to a respectable poacher or importer of large-horned ungulates uh, and get, uh, get one that can do more than stand there looking stiff and slowly decomposing. Uh, or even, you know, if you don't want that, and here the hidden costs come in of buying the dead one, um, then you have to have it stuffed by a specialist uh, rhinostic taxidermist, mounted on coasters by a qualified wheelition, and then fitted with brakes by a guy, uh, a guy from down the garage at the end of the road uh, that will chuck in some new wipers for free, if you ask nicely. And you do need brakes, John, because a wheeled rhino on a sloping stage in a musical is a uh -huh. court, court case from a bereaved orchestra waiting to happen. <laughs> now, I'm getting off point here, but the point being, get yourself a decent live rhinoceros and either train it if you want a reliable sidekick, or just work with its wildness if you want a more off-the-cuff, edgy, genuinely danger-filled gig. By which I mean... Don't skimp on safety costs when you're setting up and running an oil well, particularly not when you make $14 billion a year. I mean, you've made almost $60,000 in the time it's taken for me to say this. So treat yourself next time, BB, because you're worth it, as are your employers and planet. I think you made your point, Andy, what, whatever that point I was. I can't even remember. <laughs> I think it might have been a different one at the end than it was at the beginning. Doesn't but, matter. Doesn't matter. But some the... bits of various points have been made. Chris has got his... Pencil in the Drink air. Fact. Yeah, I want my fact. Um, there's no one uh, freezing point for crude oil because it varies across right. the world. Interesting. Yeah. But but the pour when it will stop pouring depending varies from 32 Celsius to minus 57. Really? Most commercial oils in about the minus 30 to minus 40. 
And then does it become a solid block, or is it just a, like an unpourable gloop? From, from what I understand, from what I'm reading, and, and this is limited, yeah. It, yeah. It, it, it gloops, but will eventually, eventually, you'll get something that might be moldable into right. a cricket bat. Should you have something <laughs> that yeah. you can use as a base to create the mold, <laughs> that itself wouldn't break <laughs> this, when faced with something that's minus this forty is, degrees. This is <laughs> not the global response to this disaster. <laughs> that anyone is asking for. Okay, let's make it clear. Can... Could we hypothetically take this oil and freeze it into cricket bat shape? I'm not sure how that would help yet, but it would be interesting to know first. Well, why hasn't Barack Obama addressed this, John? Well, yeah, I mean... He's really right, taking Andy. his eyes off the it's ball. Slow. It is Katrina. These are the questions that Buglers want to know, and he's it ignoring It is Katrina. Them. You're right. In fact, he has been coming in, you're right, he has been coming in for some, some real criticism over his response to this. And he said, in response in a uh, press conference, that he's, he's both going to bed and waking up in the morning thinking about the oil slick. And that must make for some pretty weird dreams. <laughs> his, his subconscious must be having a lot of fun with it. I bet he's waking up saying to Michelle, Oh, you know what, I dreamt I was surfing, but the sea was black. Then we got on a bird, only this bird had the head of the CEO of BP. And he was squawking something about liability levels. Then Albert Pujol started hitting baseballs at us. Then he stopped. Then I started urinating into milk jugs and laying them next to each other so we could walk home on them. Then I woke up and went to the bathroom, and now I'm talking to you. What do you think it means? <laughs> uh, Obama even said that his daughter Malia had knocked on his door uh, while he was shaving in the morning and asked him, did you plug the hole yet, Daddy? Now, that's not a bad nor, you know, an inappropriate yeah. question from Malia, but I'll simply say this. Let the man shave. Yeah. It's the first thing in the morning. He's about to have a terrible day. That is not a great way to start, unless... This is a very effective running family joke that each morning Malia interrupts the president shaving with a question about an area he's failing in <laughs> just to keep his feet on the ground. <laughs> hey, Dad, brought peace to the Middle East yet? Hey, Dad, how's Afghanistan going? Morning, Dad. Got any further on balancing the budget? Didn't think so. Have a great day. <laughs> if, uh, if you had any question about how little BP really cares about any of this, then uh, this story might help. Three of the most crucial witnesses at a key oil spill hearing in the US this week, including the top BP official from the Deepwater Horizon, who was uh, reportedly involved in an argument with other rig workers over a crucial procedure just hours before the explosion. Three of them didn't turn up to this hearing, Andy. They simply weren't there. Two called in sick, one pled the fifth, and that looks really good, Andy. It does seem <laughs> there's a very nasty bug going around the top BP officials at the moment. I do hope they're all all right, because from their court attendance records, it seems like most of them are as sick as a sea turtle whose lungs are brimming with oil. <laughs> but information still came out during the hearings uh, that uh, moments before the explosion, visiting uh, uh, executives from BP were on the bridge of the drilling station playing a video game simulation of the rig's controls, while the other top officer was in the shower. So... <laughs> We know we're very effectively prepared. Yep. Everything was running smoothly. And I guess to put all of that, it's hard to understand how annoying that is. To put all of it into an elaborate analogy, if you put the amount that BP cared about this oil spill into milk jugs, Andy, <laughs> and laid them side to side, you'd have one empty milk jug <laughs> lying broken at your feet. <laughs>
some breaking news tonight on the BP oil disaster and the government's response to it. NBC News has learned that on Thursday, the day after tomorrow, President Obama will announce tougher safety requirements for offshore oil rigs. This is according to a senior administration official. This is the result of the 30-day review of offshore drilling safety procedures that the president announced after the Deepwater Horizon disaster started more than 30 days ago. Among the administration's plans are a stronger inspection regime for rigs. Now, as the BP oil disaster continues unabated in the Gulf, you may recall that because of legislation passed after the Exxon Valdez disaster, oil companies are by law only required to pay $75 million in damages in the event of a spill. Democrats, led by Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey, have been trying to get rid of that liability cap ever since the BP oil disaster happened. The first time they tried to get rid of it, Alaska's Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski blocked it. The second time they tried to get rid of the oil company liability cap, it was Senator Jim Inhofe, Republican of Oklahoma, who blocked it. And now, given what we are going through in the Gulf, Democrats have made a third attempt to get rid of the limit on oil company liability in terms of paying for what they spill. And again, Senator Jim Inhofe has blocked it, explaining that if oil companies have to pay too much of the cost of their own spills, then small oil companies, you know, little mom and pop oil companies, won't get into the kind of drilling that's likely to cause great big expensive oil spills. Again, this is Senator Inhofe's argument for what he's doing. It's not the argument against it. This is why he thinks it's a good idea to have limits on how much of the cleanup oil companies have to pay in the event of a spill. Because he doesn't want little companies to have to pay more than they can afford when they spill. He wants you to pay for it. You and me, the taxpayers. If the government sticking up for the oil industry in such a blatant way seems strange to you, it's possible that you haven't been paying enough attention to the relationship between our government and the oil industry in recent years. The Minerals Management Service at the Department of the Interior was the most famous part of the Department of the Interior, even before the current BP oil disaster. It was famous because of a report from the Inspector General during the Bush administration that found a, quote, culture of substance abuse and promiscuity in the program at the Minerals Management Service that that dealt with collecting royalties from oil and gas companies. The report found that MMS employees did drugs together, uh, including the now infamous snorting of crystal meth off a toaster oven. It also found that nearly a third of the employees in the MSS office in, MMS office in question took gifts from the oil companies they were supposed to be regulating, and that some MMS employees were quite literally in bed with the oil companies and some of the time they weren't just sleeping. President Obama's Secretary of the Interior took office pledging to shut down that specific office that became so infamous. And after the BP oil disaster started, Ken Salazar further promised that he would split up the MMS agency altogether. Secretary Salazar's plan is to turn the Minerals Management Service essentially into three different subparts. The safety and enforcement of offshore drilling will be handled by one bureau. Another bureau will handle offshore oil drilling leases and the snorting meth off the toaster oven royalties division of the MMS would be given over to a third office entirely. It, it would be housed in an entirely separate division of the Interior Department from the other two former MMS offices. Progress, right? Splitting all this stuff up. Except there's another Inspector General's report out today, uh, also detailing behavior at the department during the Bush era. It shows that another part of the MMS, not the royalties part, but the actual safety inspections part, was also fecklessly corrupt, totally in bed, although this time figuratively, with the oil industry. And again, there's that crystal meth. What is it with the Interior Department and meth? In this case, quote, an MMS clerical employee told investigators that she began using cocaine and methamphetamine with an inspector when she started working at the MMS. During the inspector's interview with investigators, the inspector in question initially denied using meth, but ultimately did admit to it, explaining, quote, he had never possessed or used crystal methamphetamine while at work, but admitting that he might have been under the influence of the drug at work after using it the day before, while he was grinding his teeth down into cheese. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe sometimes I'd still be under the influence from the night before. Would that be a problem while I'm doing safety inspections of oil rigs? 
like their friends um, at the royalty in kind meth off the toaster oven office. Uh, the folks at the MMS district office in Louisiana who are supposed to be working on safety inspections, safety and inspections, um, they were very accustomed to accepting gifts from the oil industry that they were supposed to be overseeing. Gifts including jobs in the oil industry. In a 2008 email to an employee of the Island Operating Company, uh, an oil and gas production company that he was supposed to be regulating, one MMS inspector wrote this, quote, I'm excited about coming back to work with IOC. Do you think an IOC official would go with $65,000 a year and all of the trimmings you told me about? That inspector later accepted that position that was being discussed in that email. Once the investigators figured out that that's what was going on, they looked up his record as an inspector. Turns out he continued to inspect that same company even after it became his prospective employer. Get this, before he started gunning for the $65,000 a year job uh, with all the trimmings with this company, this inspector had found 16 instances of non-compliance in 47 inspections, okay? He inspected the company four more times after the job negotiations had begun, and guess how many violations he found then? Guess. Guess. Yeah, none. Uh, in an environment in which the cops and the robbers are that much in cahoots, you also get stories like this one detailed in the report. A confidential source told investigators that some MMS inspectors had allowed oil and gas production company personnel located on the platform to fill out inspection forms. Oil company personnel completed the inspection forms using pencils and MMS inspectors would write on top of the pencil in ink and turn in the completed form. And that's called oversight. So the problem is not just with one part of the MMS and the snorting meth off the toaster oven and the stripping the oil industry lobbyists and employees. This is a totally different part of the MMS. And when it's more than one part of the organization and more than one office, you can no longer call the first one a rogue office. Perhaps this is an appropriate time to bring up what happened with President Bush's Secretary of the Interior, the Secretary of the Interior when a lot of what I have just described was going on. Her name was Gail Norton. She was Mr. Bush's interior secretary for his entire first term and half of his second term. Gail Norton resigned in 2006 and immediately went to work for Shell Oil. The Justice Department made it known last year that they were investigating whether Ms. Norton hooked up her future employer, Shell Oil, with some lucrative federal oil leases right before she took that job with them. Memo to Apple regarding tree relative distance from. Who else thinks the minerals management service should just be torn down completely? Show of hands. Who else thinks this entire part of the Interior Department should just be ripped down completely and rebuilt from the bottom up? Show of hands. Brown Pelican, you want to raise your wing? I'm sorry, you can't lift your wing because of, of all the oil? I'll count you anyway. This episode is being sponsored by Audible. They're the world's largest resource for downloadable audio content like books, periodicals, premium podcasts, and more. For a limited time until June 30th, Audible is offering listeners of this show a free audiobook download of your choice. It's a pretty good deal. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com slash best. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best. Here's your last quote. It's from a resident of Florida named Kenny Navarre, and he was speaking to an oil executive. Would it be possible just to go out there and bomb the hell out of it? <laughs> so what does Mr. Navarre want to bomb the hell out of? The spewing oil well in the Gulf of Mexico. Exactly right. Yes, the spewing oil well. Very good. The Deepwater Horizon well has now been pumping oil into the Gulf of Mexico for so long that the Gulf is now mostly oil. It's now the Gulf Station of Mexico. Houses in Mobile Bay, Alabama are being advertised as being oil front properties. The latest idea, and this is true, to fix the leaking well, which nobody seems to be able to fix, is to just basically go down there, mile down, well housing around it, stuff it with garbage. Quote, shredded up tires, golf balls, things like that, unquote. The idea is they're going to throw all the stuff into the Gulf that no one wants, like the couch in your porch, what? Jay Leno's monologues. Hey. 
Joe Lieberman. But like... <laughs> Senator Lieberman's like, so do I have to stay down there a long time? Yes, you do, Joe. <laughs> but maybe it's one of those things that's just so crazy, it might, might work. work. I think they've already gone through that. <laughs> I love the fact that the thing that didn't prevent the blowout is a thing, the technical term for which is the blowout preventer. Right. That's what it's called. They forgot to uh, check the blowout preventer. They had a label on it. Right. Stands for BP, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I was promised to comment on what I think Americans have been hoping for from the president about the Gulf disaster and have not yet gotten. We aren't expecting you to solve it personally, sir. We aren't expecting you to jump into a wetsuit and dive in. We don't want you to move to Roberts, Louisiana till further notice. We would, I think, like a little of our anger articulated, especially by the least angry man in American politics. We would like to hear a little more about Mr. Salazar's idea of the boot on BP's neck. We would like to hear you, Mr. President, at least talk about shutting down all offshore drilling until all blowout preventers have been vetted by third-party experts. We would like to hear you say that there will at least be no further deep water drilling licenses until an unlimited liability bill is on your desk and ready to be signed. And sir, we would like to hear you say that if BP and the others try to do otherwise, they'll have to go through you, through the Congress, and through the American people first. Because, Mr. President, we have had enough of multinational corporations treating this irreplaceable earth like it is a kid's home chemistry set, and they are a bunch of not very conscientious fifth graders. And we would like to know Know in our gut that you have had enough of this too. There's no blankets for the winner. There's no oil in the lab. And I like to write my congressman, but I can't afford the staff. You want me to pay my taxes so you can propagate your lie. What is barefoot dudes down in New Orleans looking like they're gonna? As BP valiantly attempts to stop oil from dripping into the Gulf of Mexico, oil, I might add, BP didn't manufacture, oil BP merely discovered, the last thing we need are viscous, I mean vicious rumors. Like the rumor about angry Americans spreading dog feces on BP gas nozzles. The idea, apparently, behind this rumor, that BP gas nozzles are covered in dog feces, is to discourage people from ever filling up at BP again by convincing Americans that if they touch a BP gas nozzle, their hands would be covered in dog feces. What sick bastard would spread a scurrilous rumor like this, that every BP gas nozzle is covered in dog feces, and if you fill up at BP, your hands would be then covered in dog feces? Let's look at the rumor logically, the rumor that all BP gas nozzles are covered in dog feces. I mean, you'd have to feed your dog, walk it, and then smear his feces all over a British petroleum gas nozzle. So, obviously, there is no truth to the rumor that Americans are spreading dog feces all over British petroleum gas nozzles. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go walk my dog. <laughs> David Feldman. I the, hate rumors. You I, know what? I appreciate you. That's, we like to stamp out the rumors on yeah. the Jimmy Dore show. And what is the rumor that you wanted to stamp no, out? No, I mean, you know, the BP, some people may not like BP, but don't spread the rumor that all their gas nozzles are covered in dog feces. That's unfair to what, spread that rumor. You're saying that BP's gas nozzles... They're not. Be covered, they're are not covered in dog feces, and that if you go fill up at BP, your hands will not be covered in dog feces, because that rumor, I don't know why that rumor got spread. You mean, well, and I, I'm confused now. Your hands are going to be covered no, in dog feces? No, they won't be covered in dog feces if you go and fill up at BP. I still don't. That's a rumor that people are spreading. That oh, that's a rumor that you're going to get your hands. Are yeah, but be... there's no truth to the rumor that BP gas nozzles have been covered. <laughs> 
and dog feces? Because why would anybody spread dog feces on a BP gas nozzle? Well, I mean, I I guess I could, you know, if I was going to think crazy, I guess I could think of some crazy reason. But we're tolerant people, and we're not going to. We're very tolerant. We're not going to do anything bad against a BP gas station. Ted Turner is going to talk about the oil spill and whose fault it might be. Uh, he's got a fascinating theory on it. Let's go to clip number 10. Talking about the ongoing oil spill, spilling thousands and thousands of gallons millions. into the Gulf of Mexico right now, could be millions. How does that make this debate even more immediate? I mean, you look, they, can, they cannot plug the hole. It's been over 20 days. We're, we're trying to send, you know, people to Mars, and we can't plug the hole. Sad. It's sad. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not a real religious person, but I'm somewhat religious. And uh, I'm just wondering if God telling us he doesn't want us to drill offshore because it sure is setting back offshore drilling. And, and, and right before that, we had that uh, coal mine disaster in West Virginia where we lost 29 miners. And last week, uh, or two days ago, the Chinese lost 29 miners too in another mine disaster over in China. It seems like there's one over there every week. And maybe, that, you know, the Lord's tired of having the mountains of West Virginia, the tops knocked off of them so they can get more coal. I think maybe we ought to just leave the coal in the ground and, and go with solar and, uh, and wind power and geothermal where it's applicable. So possibly God's work in a way. Well, it could be. He's sending us a message. All right. Now, I love that. Why do I love it? Because I think it's true? No. It's not like if Ted Turner says it or somebody on my political side says it. Like, oh, yeah, maybe it was God. <laughs> no, I don't think it was God at all. I think the guy who did the spill or the companies are BP, Halliburton, and Transocean. I ain't got nothing to do with God when Rick Perry says it or when Ted Turner says it. Okay. Now, having said that, why do I like it? Because I love that it's a, a, basically a progressive saying, hey, you know what? Maybe God's working the other way. Maybe God doesn't like us doing the mining. And then that's why he's sending us the message. So people can go, huh, that's not that bad a point. Maybe God isn't a Republican after all. <laughs> Gets people thinking. To me, I think he's hung out with Jane Fonda a little too much. Can you remember they were married? Jane Fonda is the born-again Christian, etc. They had their issues over that, but maybe that seeped in a little bit. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't go in that direction, but I love that he's introducing that into the debate and having people... Uh, think about that and think, hey, you know what? Uh, something's going wrong here. My guess is what's going on is that the government would be better off regulating these companies a little bit better so that they don't actually do these disasters to make an extra buck. That'd be the way I'd go with it. Well, the rose at the altar withered and wilted Romero sank into a dream and he didn't make a heaven, and he didn't make Harrisburg. Got lost in a hole in between. And some say that man is the root of all evil, and others say God's a drunkard for pain. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Greece is in the skillet, and all of Europe is trying to turn down the flame on the stove of debt.
And the main cook in that economic kitchen is Germany. We all know what that means, something indigestible in the financial system of the Eurozone. While savvy investors flee the bonds of Europe like a new arrival at Ellis Island, they're also warily eyeing the financial status of good old Uncle Sam. The Chinese, with their own housing bubble staring them straight down the barrel, are beginning to wonder if it's time to sell some of their trillions in U.S. debt. And if that happens, the savvy investor will be heading for the fruit cellar for the summer. President Obama declared it a ridiculous spectacle, the drama of three companies fighting over responsibility for the oil mess in the Gulf of Mexico. And over at the Money Honey Desk, Sylvia Meal Argent has the newly appointed head of British Petroleum's Task Force Gulf Cleanup now as her guest. Thanks, Mike. Simon Pants took over his position at BP just this week after spearheading other corporate rescue operations, including the notorious Latin American launch of Yellow Coke just last year. Simon, I... Guess you hit the water running. Or sliding. Thanks, Sylvia. Yes, indeed. Difficult time to come on board, but that's what we in the corporate rescue design field do. You first gained fame in the industry when you tackled the problem of tainted mouthwash in Canada. Uh, That's correct. Somehow we never really found out how salmonella had contaminated all of the large bottles of Minterine, which at the time was Canada's best-selling mouthwash, absolutely owned the market for green mouthwash, which at the time was the largest segment of the Canadian mouthwash sector. Well, how did you extricate Minterine from that near disaster? Uh, easier than it sounded. We uh, changed the color to blue and spent $100 million convincing Canadians that blue mouthwash was better than green. Well, nothing that easy in the Gulf of Mexico, I'd imagine. I shouldn't think so, no. An unfortunate series of false starts, I'm afraid, rather put the company on the back foot, as we say. (laughs) Which means? Cross the front foot, I should think. So far, everything your company has tried to stop the discharge of oil seems to have failed. Is this impacting the brand? Well, it is. It it, it can't help but do, and so we're taking a very proactive approach. You may recall BP uh, did a virtual renaming a few years back when we were positioned as Mm pro-environmental. We branded BP as Beyond Petroleum. But recently you've returned to the legacy name. We have, and and now it's uh, associated in the public mind, our research tells us, with a certain degree of hubris, of arrogance, and of haplessness. We... uh, Well, we feel our most urgent need is to recast the company brand once more. And uh, we're going to be doing that starting this week with some creative that really takes advantage of our British heritage to assume a a self-deprecating approach that can uh, add some needed humility to the corporate personality with uh, understated humor, as uh, only the Brits can do. Mm -hmm. So for the duration of this episode, uh, we'll be rebranding the company. Uh, British Petroleum is now... Twittish Petroleum, and the early research on that is very good indeed. Uh, Humor plays well in dealing with a crisis? Well, obviously, that's not the only arrow in our quiver. (laughs) We've had quite a large virtual conversation on our corporate network on our new plans to stunt the flow of oil following the failure of the containment dome and the top hat. And the junk shot. Well, uh, we never really tried that. It was a trial balloon uh, floated in the media, and that's uh, gone back to the science shop for renaming. The word junk was a turn-off? It, it sounded as if we were <laughs> dumping garbage in the Gulf, and I mean, who would do that? Mm-hmm. So in, in the queue for announcements this week are the turkey neck, so named because of the curved and wizened appearance of the pipe that protrudes from the underwater pump, mm-hmm. the tourniquet, which would literally attempt to constrict the pipe at the wellhead to strangle the leak, and the blind date. And that is? An underwater robot that inserts a probe into uh, wherever it finds a, a weakness in the uh, well structure. Besides the place where it's leaking. But yes, precisely. Not as weak as that point. Now, obviously, there's no guarantee that any of these procedures will succeed. In fact, our financial department is shorting the company's stock as a way of hedging that expectation of failure. And that's where we think the, the self-deprecation of Twittish petroleum will, uh, we think, inoculate us against more of a sense of failure. You know, one of the signature lines we're considering if these procedures go pear-shaped is, what do you expect from the Brits? Does that attitude extend to BP's stance toward demands for greater and greater expenditures to compensate people and communities damaged by the leak? Well, legal is spearheading that. It's not in my remit, but I do understand from the conference calls that they're adopting a slightly more robust posture in regard to possible litigation, which... uh, Lead counsel described to me as uh, cutting the plaintiffs off at the knees. So, a, a dichotomy? Well, corporate versatility. Mm-hmm. The finest orchestra in the world plays at more than one tempo. Simon Pants, head of Task Force Gulf Cleanup now. Thanks for joining us on the virtual trading floor. Thank you, Sylvia. It's very quiet here. Very. Mike? 
And for now, that's Mind Your Own Business for this week. Next time, the growth market and home foreclosures. Till then, I'm Mike Tuccinello saying, this week, mind the business of someone you love. So long. incredible. We're, we're learning that BP was in charge of the Exxon Valdez spill cleanup. What a mess. The administration is uh, trying to hit back, but there's nothing to hit at. I mean, it's, it's like our our government is not organized to deal with a 5,000, you know, a mile underwater oil spill. It's not like you can send a nuclear sub down there. So, the, you know, the biggest thing that the president can do is, you know, raise hell and take names and kick ass. That's pretty much all he can do. And yet, at the same time, who can he do that of? I mean, BP, in, in, in my opinion, they should be, Eric Holder, the attorney general, should be they should be holding criminal investigations right now the FBI should be down there finding out and, the, and what's going on they should be asking the question what about the party on April 20th on that oil rig was the did they fail to put the mud down that pipe because it would have taken an extra three days and those six executives who were flying out on the helicopter for the party would have had to wait three days is that why this thing blew up who was criminally negligent? They had the three, the heads of the three companies before Congress. Eleven men died. They had the head, the, the, the head of these three companies before Congress. All three of them basically said it's the other guy's fault. You know, when you get three guys who are charged with a bank robbery in, and each one of them says it's the other guy's fault, they put all three of them in jail. This is a criminal act. This is a criminal act against the United States of America. This is a form of environmental terrorism. If this had been done by al-Qaeda, we would be, be, well, if it was the Bush administration, we'd be bombing some other country right now. We'd be bombing Somalia or something. We'd be at war. This is an absolute screaming disaster that is not being handled appropriately by by the Obama administration. Excuse me. No Freudian slip, but seriously. It is not being handled properly by this administration because they don't have... See, here's here's the terrible conundrum. They don't have the tools to handle it. The biggest tool to handle it is to prevent it in the first place. And that means doing... That, in, that means immediately unrolling, rolling back the Bush administration policy of putting industry in charge of their own rules. The Bush administration said, you know, we're going to have industry write their own rules. We're going to have them self-regulate. And for eight years, that was what was going on. And it was under the Bush administration that this, that this whole project got approved and got started. And they've been operating on Bush, uh, under Bush administration rules ever since, frankly, because Ken Salazar isn't that different from the Bush administration. Now, if the minerals company wanted it, if the mining companies wanted it, if the oil companies wanted it, they got it. We're talking, this is an industry, the oil industry, that gets over $100 billion just in government subsidies. They're giant welfare queens. And they're held to accountable for nothing. What we're seeing here right now is a visible externalization of cost, a visible destruction of the commons, when what is actually going on all the time is an invisible destruction of the commons that nobody in this country talks about. In Denmark, they threw an extra 3 or $4 a gallon gas tax on gasoline because they have a national health insurance program that is paid for out of income taxes, and they said, you know, People are getting cancers because we burn gasoline. People are getting asthma because we burn diesel fuel. People get emphysema because of diesel fuel and gasoline. We're going to recover the costs to our society, to our health care system, 
of that of burning gasoline and burning diesel fuels by raising by raising a tax on it. We're going to grab that externality cost. My guess is that if Denmark had an offshore oil operation or if they had oil on land, which they don't have, which is one of the reasons why, why Denmark, you know, A, takes this relatively seriously, and B, I mean, they don't have any oil, so they're trying to, you know, and B, they've got the windmills and the, the whole electric car initiative and everything else. But my guess is that, that if they had an oil operation, they, they, would also have, they would also have rules like Norway does that say, you know, if you're going to drill, you've got to have a blowout preventer that can be remotely activated. Brazil has a rule like that. They're doing offshore drilling. Or they would have done like Canada does and said, if you're going to drill in fragile areas like the Canadian Arctic, at the same time you're drilling the main well, you've also got to drill a relief well in case one of them blows out. So you've got an so they hit at the same time. We're waiting three months for the relief well. Now all of that assumes that there's even some value in drilling offshore. The U.S. our U.S. oil reserves are virtually non-existent. There's like nothing left. Jimmy Carter warned about the, warned warned us about this back in the 1970s. He laid this thing out. He said this is this is going to be a disaster. Jerry Ford warned about this in the early 70s. Keep in mind, it was 1974 when we hit peak oil in the United States. That was the point at which it started costing far more. to pay. That was the point at which we had consumed half of all the oil that we had in the North American continent in the United States part of North America. And I know the right-wingers talk about, well, and, and even the Democrats in Montana. Well, we got a lot of oil shale here, here, you know, and we're getting a lot of oil from the oil shale in Canada. It's incredibly environmentally destructive to process that and incredibly expensive. This is not cheap oil coming from shale. And when we burn this stuff, there's another external cost that nobody's paying for, and that's the cost of global warming. I had a dream last night. I dreamt that I was swimming in the stars up above. Directionless and drifting and somewhere in the dark Were the sirens and the thunder and around me as I swam The drifters who'd gone under Time, love, time, love, time, love Time, love, time, love, time, love it's only a change of time. Coming this fall, Will Smith stars as the detached but concerned president with Jason Alexander as the frightened sea turtle. <laughs> Nothing could destroy it. Not explosives, not a dome, not putting it on after Jay Leno. Now, America, get ready for Top Kill. So this new TV show would be about what? The oil spill in the Gulf. Yes, the oil spill. Very good. After um, numerous failed attempts to stop the oil leak, this week uh, BP decided to try something that may or may not work, but definitely sounds awesome. <laughs> Top kill. Mm -hmm. The idea is that they plug the oil well by pumping mud down into it, but if you stop up the gushing oil, won't like the earth swell up and then explode? <laughs> President Obama went down to the Gulf to say that his administration has been fully in charge throughout the five-week disaster. Good on them. Isn't that a little like claiming you were closely and continually involved in the production of Sex in the City 2? That's kind of a mean junk shop, don't you it think? It is. <laughs> this has given us so much new jargon, top kills and junk shots, and there's others. Well, the there? other one that I think is so weird is the blowout preventer. Oh, I yes. love a blowout right. preventer. Certainly it's all a little macho. You, know, I, I, you think I, it should be more sensitive if they were more understanding of the no, oil no, will blow no, out? No, would be no. A, yeah. Scale magnolias yeah. kill? I mean, no, no, places yeah. in the heart kill? No, my, my point is, gentlemen, yes. is that Ooh. you have all these macho names for things that don't work. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you, guys, did you guys watch Obama's press conference on Thursday? It had a great little personal moment. Um, 
He, he, Obama, the president said that in the mornings, his, his daughter Malia comes knocking in his door and says, Daddy, did you plug the hole yet? Oh, to which, gosh. To which the president responds, Jesus, who died and made you Fox News? <laughs> Leave me alone and don't tell Mama you caught me smoking again, okay? <laughs> Honestly. Today in Alaska, crude oil production was all but stopped on, a, on the North Slope. Oil companies operating there were told to cut their production by more than 80% after thousands of barrels of crude oil spilled from the Trans-Alaska oil pipeline. The 800-mile Trans-Alaska oil pipeline, at least for right now, is shut down. That spill in Alaska is happening, of course, in the shadow of a much larger spill in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, actually, you know what, if it's okay with you guys, in the control room, I, I think we should just probably just have me stop doing this now and let the gravitas white guy anchor do this part. Let's do that. In Alaska, the pipeline has been repaired. Oil is expected to flow again today. But that crack that developed Sunday allowed 1,500 barrels of crude oil to escape. 700 barrels recovered. And in the Gulf of Mexico, oil workers are trying to handle a much larger oil spill. A burning offshore oil well is dumping 30,000 barrels of crude each day into the Gulf. So, yeah, that was from 1979, June 13th, 1979, that NBC News anchor reporting on a pipeline spill in Alaska on the same day that an oil well was leaking out of control and burning in the Gulf of Mexico. 31 years ago, in June 1979, an oil well called the Ixtoc blew out in the Gulf of Mexico. It started spewing thousands of barrels of crude oil into the Gulf every day. And it's not just the disaster itself that should sound familiar to you, it's also the techniques that they were using at the time to try to contain the spill. Airplanes are to be used to drop chemicals on the oil, but there is a shortage of aviation fuel down there. The workers are also putting up a mile-long boom. They're putting it into place. They're trying to contain the oil slick in the Gulf of Mexico. Chemical dispersants being spread across the Gulf by plane. Mile-long booms being set up to contain the oil slick on the surface. If you close your eyes and you just listen to these news reports from 1979, you would be forgiven from thinking, for thinking that you had flipped on the news today. The Ixtoc rig erupted in the middle of the night in 1979 in June as it was drilling for oil in the Gulf of Mexico. The drilling was being done by a company called Sedco. Sedco later became known as TransOcean. The operator of the rig that blew up this year in the Gulf of Mexico. The reason the Ixtoc explosion turned into a massive uncontrolled leak 30 years ago is because the well's blowout preventer malfunctioned. Sound familiar? The blowout preventer failed to stop the Ixtoc leak and what followed was an environmental disaster the likes of which the country had never seen before. Floating barriers are still being stretched across the waterway near South Padre Island to keep approaching oil from spoiling this popular sport fishing area, which is also vital to shrimp fishing and endangered wildlife. Oil skimming vessels are also being put into service to catch any patches of oil which may get through. About five miles offshore, another team of private oil containment workers is prepared to intercept drifting oil before it gets to land. The Coast Guard has already said it will be impossible to get it all, and they're particularly concerned about oil moving underwater. Plumes of oil moving underwater, oil containment teams, skimming vessels. Again, these are not badly colorized reports from the BP oil disaster in the Gulf right now. This is reporting from Deja Vu Land, from essentially the same disaster in the Gulf of Mexico, but in 1979. The only thing missing back then was worries that the loop current would carry the oil out of the Gulf of Mexico all the way to the coast of Florida. Oh, wait. There is now a distinct possibility that oil spilling from that runaway Mexican well could spread as far as the Gulf Coast of Florida, that from an official of the EPA. 
The Extoc disaster in 1979 in the Gulf of Mexico went on for weeks. Then weeks turned into months. The reason it went on for so long is because even though oil companies were allowed to drill offshore like that, it turns out they didn't know how to stop a leak when disaster struck. Nothing they tried worked. In the Gulf of Mexico, rain and heavy seas are hampering efforts to cap a Mexican oil well it has been spilling since June 3rd, the worst spill in history. Workers are trying to put a giant cone over the well. Despite inclement weather, they may try again today. Trying to put a giant cone over the well. In 2010, this giant cone strategy is what we were sort of euphemistically calling the top hat. I wonder if they had a euphemistic name for it back in 1979. Mexican officials are calling it Operation Sombrero. Workers have been trying since the weekend to put a 300-ton steel cone over the mouth of the runaway well. Officials say once in place, the cone will collect up to 90% of the crude oil, which has been gushing from the well for more than three and a half months. From 10,000 to 30,000 barrels a day have flowed into the Bay of Campeche and the Gulf of Mexico. As with BP's top hat, the Ixtoc spills Operation Sombrero ultimately failed to stop the leak, but they had other ideas back then that were sure to solve the problem. Ideas like shooting metal spheres into the well to cut the flow of oil. You might call that today a junk shot. They also tried pumping cement and salt water into the leaking well to try to jam it up. You might call that a top kill maneuver. Neither of those things worked. For months and months and months and months and months, the Ixtoc well continued to leak uncontrollably. Until? Two relief wells are still being drilled to relieve pressure on the blown out well, so it eventually can be capped. Relief wells. Nine agonizingly long months after the Ixtoc well exploded, a pair of relief wells finally allowed the engineers to cap the leaking well. That was 31 years ago. I am 37 years old and this happened when I was six. Those haircuts are back in fashion. And the stuff that did not work back then is the same stuff that hasn't worked now. Same busted blowout preventer, same ineffective booms, same underwater plumes, same toxic dispersant, same failed containment domes, same junk shot, same top kill. It's all the same technology. The Ixtoc well, which couldn't be plugged for nine months, was in roughly 200 feet of water. Now in 2010, we're using the same exact techniques to try to plug a well that is leaking in 5,000 feet of water. Now look, maybe this top kill maneuver will work. We obviously hope and pray that it does. Praying does seem wiser than hoping at this point. That said, as we reported earlier this hour, BP executive Doug Suttle says tonight that it looks like it's drilling mud and not oil. That is what's now coming out of the ruptured well, but they can't tell for sure. The thing that's essentially been guaranteed to work in the past is a relief well, and that's still months away from being complete. The oil companies keep talking about how technologically advanced they are, but what they've gotten technologically advanced at is drilling deeper. They haven't gotten any more advanced on how to deal with the risks attached to that. They haven't made any technological advances in the last 30 years when it comes to stopping a leak like this when it happens. All they've gotten better at is making the risks worse by putting these leaks further out of our reach. Oh, hey, congratulations. Now the thing you can't stop is a full mile underwater. That's all they've gotten better at. That and making themselves the most profitable industry the universe has ever seen, and I am not exaggerating. Thanks for listening, everyone. This show, as I mentioned in passing at the beginning, was guest produced by a friend of the show, Chris Priest. I just want to thank him for the great work he did on this show. Also mentioned that you should all check out chrispriestmusic.com. He is an absolute audio wizard and uh, and does his own music. He had uh, a, one song included in this show, as well as one in the previous show. It went something a little bit like this. 
think of us talking points and false choice after false choice and there's no prominent voices on the left five companies own everything you read here and see misleading the people still calling it freedom of the press disaster of epic proportions they got us all in traitors in our midst screwed over when corporations bought in so there you go that's some of chris priest's latest work called class warfare obviously it's some pretty good stuff check it out again at chrispriestmusic.com now just a quick reminder of the funtivities coming up this week in dc june 8th at 8 p.m you can come out in dc to meet up with uh, not not only myself but also the fine folks over at the young turks we're holding kind of a uh, co-listener meetup event it's happening at open city which is right next to the Adams Morgan metro station on the red line. And then, of course, the very next day, June 9th, at 1.30 p.m., join up with basically that same crew of people who are going out to the Treasury Department to protest, as I've been talking about, Goldman Sachs being given billions of dollars they say they didn't need. Now we're asking the Treasury Department to get it back for us. Again, that's June 9th at 1.30 p.m., at the Treasury Department, right next to the White House. June 9th, 1.30 p.m. at the Treasury Department. Now, of course, just to thank a couple of members who make the show possible, Sky W signed up for a monthly membership back on February 15th and has been sticking with the show since then. So thank you, Sky. And then also Daryl E signed up again for a monthly membership uh, a little more recently on March 4th. And, uh, and I want to thank Daryl for going above and beyond the standard membership level just to help out the show a little bit more. So huge thanks to both of those members and all the members who make the show possible. Now, I just want to make a quick note that occurred to me. If you recall from, uh, you know, a few days, a few couple of shows ago, I said something along the lines of uh, had a little diatribe about how people don't really know what they're doing. People in authority kind of give off an air of competence that maybe doesn't really exist, that sort of thing. And I promise that at the time that I said all of those things, I had not even yet heard the Rachel Maddow clip where, you know, that we, ju that we just heard here at the end of the show, where she proved beyond a reasonable doubt that the oil companies who have been spilling oil for decades and decades are absolutely no better at cleaning it up now than they were 30 years ago. So they can go on and on about how much better they've gotten at their jobs and how uh, technologically advanced they are. But boy, the, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, although I have no idea why anybody says that. So that's going to do it for today. Uh, please continue to support the show by telling everyone you know about it. Uh, at least five friends. It makes a huge difference and helps the show a lot just to keep it growing. To stay connected between episodes and to get up-to-the-minute updates on uh, all the fun things that are going on, join up on Facebook and or Twitter. To get details on the show, including links to all the sources and all the music used in this and every episode, all of that is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you once again, actually, from inside the Beltway and border, yet still quite far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month, thanks entirely to the support of the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every 
everything. At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a big difference in our world, keeping the Best of the Left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. Do what you can. Thanks.